The following sermon was delivered by Senior Pastor Reverend Dr. Scott Black Johnston in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday in person or on live stream. For details, go to FAPC.org. And now, here's Reverend Dr. Scott Black Johnston. This fall, Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church has been talking about wonder. We've asked, what sort of things make us gasp in awe? And we've considered how moments of awe open doorways to the divine, usher us into the presence of God. Today, we turn our attention to awe and music. Why does music have such deep power to influence us? How does music interpret the world and our place in it? And how does music inspire our thinking and stir our emotions? Today, we're going to take a trip to consider the power and mystery of music. Our journey has three parts to it. First, we are going to consider the created order, the cosmos, as being inherently musical, a symphony conducted by God. Second, we will examine how this cosmic music forms our inner songs, the music that fills the human heart. And finally, we will consider how music works its mysterious magic to open human hearts to God. At each of these three stages, there will be opportunities for reflection, for singing, for speaking a simple litany together, and of course, for listening. Listening to the music of the sphere. Part one, Musica Universalis, a reading from Psalm 19, verses one through four. The heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Here ends the reading. We live in a musical universe. Our earliest scholars and philosophers knew this instinctively and references to the musical nature of creation abound throughout scripture. The heavens are telling the glory of God, Hillary read for us just now from Psalm 19, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. In Psalm 96, we read, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. And as we sang in this morning's opening hymn from the book of Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. 
Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? We live in a musical universe. Our journey this morning begins about 2,500 years ago in the 6th century BC when the Greek philosopher Pythagoras first described his philosophy of the music of the spheres. Pythagoras suggested that celestial bodies, like planets and stars, produce musical sounds as they move in their courses through the heavens, and that the universe is ordered and governed quite literally by harmony. In fact, Pythagoras and his followers believed that the movements of the planets and stars corresponded to specific musical intervals, which created a sort of celestial symphony. Although this symphony was beyond the perception of human senses, Pythagoreans believed that this cosmic harmony ordered and influenced the natural world, as well as the human soul. Nearly 1,000 years later, in the 6th century AD, the Roman Christian philosopher Boethius adopted and expanded upon the music of the spheres idea. Boethius identified God as the simultaneous composer and performer of this concerto of creation and divided the music of the spheres into three tiers. At the top was musica universalis, the harmony of the universe, the idea that all creation is itself a vibrating, humming, never-ending song of praise. In the middle tier was musica humana, the harmony governing the, the human body and spirit, a microcosm of the supreme harmony governing the universe. Finally, at the bottom, was musica instrumentalis, the music audible to human beings as instrumental and vocal music a beautiful but pale reflection of the inaudible divine harmony governing the upper two tiers. These ideas have influenced cultures around the world for thousands of years. Although the music of the spheres philosophy is not scientific, it finds surprisingly direct parallels in modern science. For example, researchers in astrophysics have identified resonant frequencies and harmonics in various objects and phenomena in outer space. And studies in quantum mechanics have explored the idea that matter and energy are fundamentally vibrational in nature. Through science, we understand that music and harmony are an audible form of the same physics at work in everything, simply vibrating at frequencies we hear with our ears, rather than see with our eyes or touch with our hands. Essentially, everything we experience, everything we see, touch, taste, smell, or hear is vibrating, is humming. In other words, we live in a musical universe. This idea resonates deeply with me, no pun intended, and I love how beautifully it explains why we find music so powerful. Many of you have written to me over the years after a service or concert to tell me how moved you were by a particular piece of music you heard, how it seemed to sneak into your, whole, your soul and touch your heart, bypassing all the usual defenses. I believe this is because music has the potential to speak directly to the harmony of life humming within each of us, which, as I was saying a moment ago, is a reflection of the supreme harmony of all creation. In my experience, music is one of the most powerful spiritual practices we have to bring us into the present moment awareness of creation unfolding right now in real time. It's a direct line to our creator. So here we are at the first stop on our little journey through the music of the spheres this morning.
musica universalis, the highest order of music making, the music governing the very nature and movements of the universe itself. The piece we've chosen for this section is a brand new piece for choir and organ by my dear friend, the amazing composer Jessica French. The text is an incredible ecstatic poem on the transfiguration of Christ by the 16th century female mystic called Mechtild of Magdeburg. In her poem, Mechtild combines the music of the spheres philosophy with Christian theology, and this powerful combination is beautifully amplified by Jessica's haunting and majestic musical setting. This is At Heaven's Proclamation.
Will you rise in body or in spirit to join me in the litany printed in your bulletin and also shown on your screen? As the universe sings, O oh God, God, hear our song. Musica Humana, a reading from Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 18b through 20. Be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here ends the reading. Every Sunday morning, I try to heed the call of this scripture to be filled with the Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as I drive my little Prius from Brooklyn all the way to Fifth Avenue, and I crank my worship music loud on the Bronx Queens Expressway. I sing my way into a worship mood no matter the weather and no matter what I'm holding. Some mornings my fellow minister friend will text me a song. She knows I'm driving then. On our way, both of us to lead a service we hope fills with the very same spirit this letter invokes for the Ephesians. They were told to sing to give thanks to God at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I do love to sing, and this Sunday ritual is important to me. But I admit the at all times and for everything of this scripture challenges me. This discipline feels at odds with the noise of our hurting world and its broken melodies in times of violence and war. I find it hard sometimes to tune into my own voice when the weeping of children and elders calling for peace are drowned out by bombs or by the even louder silence of lives ended. But this letter to the Ephesians was one of encouragement sent to a distant group of early Christians. 
I imagine they were delighted when this letter arrived, maybe in need of their own hope in their own dark days, wrestling with the questions of how to practice their faith under persecution. Maybe they read this and thought, as I sometimes do, surely there must be exceptions to this at all times idea. This is a truth the apostle knew in writing. When we can't hear our musica humana, the melody of our inner soul, when the idea of singing thanks and praise to God at all times fills us with disbelief, this is precisely when we need our song returned to us in the voices of others, modeled to us in the singing, loud and unafraid and disciplined with hope. My godmother, Kathy, embodied this scripture for me growing up. Kathy was a lesbian and a former nun who left the convent for love, but who often brought me to her small Catholic church in Minneapolis, which was rebellious both for its rainbow flag flying in the 1990s and for what I remember as a remarkably liberal use of the tambourine. Kathy loved to sing and she clapped to the music. I have very vivid memories of her jubilant freedom in the pews, pews she was once excluded from for the way God created her to love. But there she was, diligent in hope enough to sing loudly and joyfully at all times. Filled with the spirit, she clapped just out of rhythm some days with her own version of the words, but she did it without shame. She lived knowing she was a joyful noise and she sang a song that welcomed the free and joyful clanging of the rest of us. Even this embarrassed preteen who wanted so badly to be perfectly in tune. But Kathy taught me what this scripture calls out to us now. That singing at all times means you can't always hit the note. Some days the song we sing can only be heard in our own hearts. Even when there's silence, that doesn't mean the music has stopped. Let it be a rested note. Let it be the invitation to raise your voice and join again in the song.
Will you rise again in body or in spirit to join me in the litany in your bulletin and on your screen? As our souls sing, O oh God, hear our song. Part three, Musica Instrumentalis. A reading from the first book of Samuel, chapter 16, verses 17 through 23. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me someone who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a warrior, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who is with the sheep. Jesse took a donkey loaded it with bread, a skin of wine and a kid, and sent them by his son David to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Saul sent, Jesse, sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand, and Saul would be relieved and feel better, and the evil spirit would depart from him. Here ends the reading. This past week, I've been thinking about concerts. I've been asking people, what is the best concert you've ever attended? And why? Why was it the best? In answering, some mentioned the venue. It was a perfect night to be under the the stars and the live oaks at the backyard in Austin, Texas. Some mentioned the quality of, of the performers. Sting had the most incredible musicians on stage with him that tour. Their sound enveloped us. Many mentioned a feeling of connection woven 
by the performance. Like a mystical blanket, it, it, it drew people together. And, and they described music that had everyone bouncing in unison, everyone singing along, everyone's hearts beating as one. Some referred to this moment in certain concerts in a surprisingly spiritual way. It was, they said, like church. I nodded. The best moments in the best concerts I've ever attended have always felt to me like church. I'm thinking of Bonnie Raitt singing John Prine's stunning angel from Montgomery in a crystal clear mountain stream voice. I'm thinking of Bruce Springsteen ending a concert that Amy and I went to growling that Curtis Mayfield standard, people get ready, people get ready. There's a train a coming. You don't need no baggage. You just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the diesel a humming. You don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord. Church. <laughs> I'm one of those religious geeks who spent more time in my life in church than out of it. And so sometimes I take for granted one of the strangest and clearly countercultural things that we do in this space, we sing. We sing together. And this is an awesome thing, a modern wonder. Last Sunday, All Saints Sunday, at the conclusion of the service, I watched elders and deacons of this church stand in the front pews here after communion and lean into for all the saints from whom their labors rest with tears running down their faces. David Byrne, composer and lead singer of the rock group The Talking Heads, observes that music resonates in so many parts of the brain that we can't conceive of it as being an isolated thing. It's, it's whom you were with. It's how old you were and what was happening that day. Music, musica instrumentalis, taps into deep places inside of us. It conjures up memories, other moments when we've sung, and other voices that have sung alongside us. It changes us too. It breaks down walls. It binds our hearts together. In synchronizing our voices, our spirits somehow begin to unite. We connect to each other. In the quirky story that we just heard so wonderfully read from 1 Samuel, King Saul recruits a young shepherd, David, to be a musician in his court. The king demands music because, 
because the king is struggling. He's a broken person. His life is consumed by violence. He feels unappreciated as a leader, and he suspects that he's unloved by God. Saul is a wounded and angry man. And yet, the text tells us that when David would play the lyre, Saul felt relief and the evil spirit departed from him. Music can transform us. It can comfort us. And it can connect us to our creator like a, like a baby in utero who hears the thrumming of a mother's heart. Music forges a deep connection, deep, deep connection to those around us and to the one who made us. Perhaps in this terribly turbulent time, there's hope and a path forward to be found in that concert goer who says, it felt like church. Perhaps instead of issuing more statements, making more angry social media posts, more lists of grievances, more rationales for violence, we might try singing. We could start by humming. No words, just humming along with the music of creation. I feel like that's what God is doing right now. Humming, mouthing a lullaby, trying to calm the vitriol, to soothe the fear and the anger, working to chase the evil spirits away. La la la, la la la, la 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 la, la 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 la. Do you know that one? Dona nobis pacem pacem. Dona no. Let's 
Will you please stand in body or in spirit and join me in our litany. As we join the chorus, O God, hear our song. this place to embrace moments of wonder. And as you go, sing the music of the Spirit wherever you go. Have courage, hold fast to what is good, return to no one evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, honor all people love and serve the Lord. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.